0: What we as a society are trying to do now is something that has never been done before, and that is decarbonise a human society. The climate jobs market in general is exploding. In the UK alone, I think it's over 6 million jobs being created by net zero pathways. The proportion of people who freelance is at an all time high. If you're a freelancer, you can scale your impact across multiple companies. And we're in this huge skills gap. We desperately need these skills. If you're a freelancer and you want to win work, the one thing that stands out and that will get you a role is specificity, if you try and be everything to everybody, you'll be nothing to nobody. we have such a good foundation, like it's number one on Google, we have all of this interest. Next couple of years, building more learning partnerships, making it more valuable than not for someone to transact on the platform is going to be a key inflection point. The work that we're doing is pointless unless there is a climate impact. So starting to measure things like, what are the projects that we're doing? What are the potential emissions that have been abated, reduced or avoided by those projects? And what percent of the work did the freelancer do? So that's something we're going to start measuring.
1: The 1.5 degree limit is achievable. 1.5 within reach. So to keep that 1.5 goal in sight. A 1.5
0: degree budget. Vital 1.5 degrees climate target. A 1,5 degrees.
1: The climate time bomb is ticking. Hello, you're listening to The Climate Podcast from 1.5 degrees down. I'm Julia Marisova, one of the co-founders, and today we're talking to Nick Valenze, the founder of the climate freelancers platform LIFR. In today's episode, we are exploring the rapidly growing need to connect climate professionals with the urgent need for the expertise in decarbonization and sustainability. So if you are a freelancer seeking opportunities in the climate space, or a business manager looking to harness the power of a freelance workforce, or just simply curious about the vital connection between jobs and climate action, you are in the right place. Nick, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for coming to our podcast. Why don't we start with the introduction? Uh, Could you tell us a bit more about yourself and provide a brief overview of your background and what inspired you to create a platform specifically focused on freelance opportunities in the climate space?
0: Yeah, uh, sure. So I'm Nick Valencia, founder of Leafa. Um, Leafa is a climate freelancing platform uh, and my my journey to it, so I started my career in consulting. Um, And consulting is great for giving you this like a really good set of skills that which are really applicable, really variable. I didn't really thrive and I didn't really find any projects that I wanted to do for a few years. I knew I loved design, I knew I wanted to work within the impact space, was interested in environmental issues, but I was getting put on projects that weren't really matched for those aspirations. A few years in, the stars aligned and I got onto a project in East Africa, which was working in design and products and I'd always wanted to do that, build products and services. and um, ended up leaving teams doing that in that region, in Portugal, the US, UK. And I left and started a social enterprise which was called VoicePals, and it was attacking elderly loneliness and it was this matching marketplace. Uh, Voice Pals had really good word of mouth and I felt like it was solving a good problem but I came to a point where I realized that I couldn't really scale it because I didn't have the skill sets. And at the same time, I was mentoring climate tech startups and really wanted to get into the space. I went to study an MBA And I had a bunch of questions in my head about, you know, how you might scale platforms and um, how you might create sustainable businesses. And the MBA didn't really answer any of those questions, but it did allow me to learn more about the intersection of climate and business. Um, And it was a sustainability and climate focused MBA in Oxford. So a lot of the classes were on those issues. And then I left and wanted to freelance. and wanted to freelance in the climate space and couldn't find any, any platforms that would offer me those, those kinds of opportunities. And at the same time, I was chatting to companies and often I would get asked, you know, do you know anyone with carbon accounting skills or supply chain skills? And was just seeing this this friction on both sides of the marketplace because I couldn't see any platforms that would allow me to freelance specifically with these companies. And so I just made this website, which took a day or two. And the website was pretty basic. It just said, you know, it's a climate freelancing platform, some profiles of, of friends of mine who wanted to work in the space and I put it on a Slack channel. And um, that week I had three different companies get in touch and over a hundred people sign up. And it's kind of snowballed from there. And now we have over a thousand people on Lifa. We have 40 different projects shared from different companies across EU, the US, the UK. And it's all with the aim of, of trying to attack that, that point of friction, that, that skills gap that there is in the climate space.
1: Why did you decide to focus on freelance jobs and not permanent or both?
0: So the the permanent job space is pretty well covered in the climate space. You've got, you know, Terra.do and ClimateEU work on climate who um who are all doing like amazing work in that area. But I think there's a couple of different there's a couple of interesting things about freelancing. Number one, it's a super scalable model. So not only scalable as a business, but If you're a freelancer, you can scale your impact across multiple companies and we're in this huge skills gap, we desperately need these skills and having someone who is an expert and who's able to work for multiple companies in a year and spread their expertise adds a lot more value I think than locking them into one institution. And otherwise, um, I saw it as a gap, I mean there's a very different set of infrastructure that you need to run freelancing platforms and it wasn't really being served and I think, so I read the other day that the proportion of people who freelance is at an all-time high and it's this huge trend and so there's also a market that needs to be served on that side as well.
1: Could you tell us how does your platform work and what's your business model? What do you offer to companies who are looking to find climate expertise and to freelancers who are interested in jobs?
0: Yeah, so right now it's, it's closed access for freelancers, so we're selective. And so we want to make sure that we are vetting people and that we're meeting skills demand with the people who are on our platform. So if you're vetted, you'll get onto Lefa and you'll offer your skills on there. And we're bringing in the ability for companies to find you directly and contact you. But the way it works so its most basic form is a company comes on, they post a project, people apply and they apply within a range that is set by the company. And then the company can take them through to interview and take them through to the project if they want. And then if you're a freelancer, the whole point of LIFA is to make it really easy for you to find that work. So we help with admin, contracting and invoicing and for companies, the same same philosophy. So we help with vetting people, you know, making sure they are who they say they are. Again, supporting you with making sure that your payments are correct. And so just trying to make that experience easier for both sides as well. Um, and then in future, we've started doing this a bit. We have a partnership with Oxford, but in future we want to start up, um, offering more climate learning modules. Because we gather some good skills data and we want to start saying, if you, if you get onto Leafa, you can find really targeted learning modules which are applicable to your experience, your aspirations as well, and we think that's a better value proposition for companies because people are better trained on LIFA.
1: So that would be your revenue stream to sell courses to both freelancers and also to the corporates?
0: Yeah, so a couple of revenue streams, one of them is so we take a fee per project, so um, it's a varying fee but the crucial thing is it doesn't come out of the freelancers right, so it's always additional to theirs, it doesn't cost you anything to work with us and that is just paid by the company. For shorter projects we'll take a matching fee which is a, a one-off or yes we'll we'll have revenue streams where we just will have referral fees for example with with learning courses.
1: So if I'm a freelancer and I want to get registered on your platform, what kind of information would you need for me to submit to you
0: so at the moment it's a very short description your LinkedIn and then a set of skills that you that you think you have and then we put you through our vetting process and there's a set of proof points that you need to hit if you if you kind of pass and it's you know 100% marks then you'll go straight through you'll be accepted but for a lot of people we will take you through to short interview and that is just a set of questions just to check off you know, if you don't have experience in climate, are there other ways that you can add value because a lot of people want to move into the space and we want to we don't want to just close the platform to anyone who doesn't have any experience because it's a very new space. So checking off that, for example, you might have great design experience or um, you might be a really good data scientist and um, checking those things off, checking it would be comfortable putting you in front of a client. And then if you're accepted, you'll you'll come on.
1: So basically, after you go through the checks, uh, then you get access to the jobs which you publish from the companies? Yes, uh, Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, so, and we've got a, we have quite a long waiting list, unfortunately. So a lot of people want to use us. They're, we're number one on Google and I think we want to be selective and also not unbalance the marketplace and make sure we have supply and demand balance. So there's now a two-month waiting list for freelancers.
1: So there aren't enough jobs for the people who want jobs?
0: So I would say that it's the kind of the matching of jobs that is the issue. I think we're constrained by our ability to actually get ourselves in front of the people who have this pain point as well. So a lot of people want to work in climate, but companies like, for example, small or medium businesses, they're not able to access those skills. So it's also, it's a function of the extent to which we can get ourselves out there and have companies post on leave.
1: You actually mentioned that you don't want to limit access to people who only work in climate, so we know that climate crisis affects virtually every sector and actually every job uh, has the potential to contribute positively or negatively to the global effort to combat climate change. So how do you distinguish between climate and non-climate jobs and do you you specialise in certain sectors?
0: Yeah, great question. So we have a really good framework for freelancers. For climate jobs, it's a bit more of a moving picture, for example let's say a large oil company posts on LIFA but the project is um, growing sustainable biofuels you know do we accept that as a job right now that hasn't happened yet and I think there'd be a decision point that would need to be made on like whether this is advancing the the overall aims of the climate movement or whether it's not and I think generally I would I would fall upon the side of yes you do want to work with the biggest emitters and the the hard to abate industries Luckily, there are now frameworks being developed. So there's a, there's a greenwashing framework that's been developed by the Advertising Standards Agency, which is really useful. And so we would look at that as well. But overall, like, the one heuristic is, this project overall going to advance the ends of the climate movement? And we've had projects on there that we've rejected because they either don't, um, they're just not relevant, or there's been some hint of greenwashing. And we, you know, we want to err on the side of safety with that.
1: It looks like you don't have any shortage of uh, freelancers who want to get registered on your platform. But how do you attract and engage with the companies on your platform and what strategies have you found effective in building strong user base for your platform? And maybe you could give us some numbers in terms of your user growth.
0: Yeah, so with companies, a few different ways. We haven't spent any money on paid advertising or marketing. And that is the big next step, Um, but a couple of different ways. We try and have quite a big presence at events. Um, I think that's always useful. So conferences, any climate or industry events, you'll see me at some outbound. So outbound email, outbound LinkedIn as well, which we're trying to zero down on exactly who is the customer. And then the other way is, so we've very big presence in all of these Slack channels, and that's where a lot of the jobs are being posted. Big presence on LinkedIn communities where people are looking for these skills. And then. The other ways that we want to start doing is, for example, starting to see if we can like, look out and just get a view of the data out on the Internet of let's say someone's posting a ESG contract job and it's hard for them to find it. You can tell because the, the job's been live for a few weeks. We're trying to bring that data in and reach out to them proactively that way as well. But that's what I think most of the, the energy of the platform is going to be spent on going forwards is generating demand.
1: Can you explain to me Slack channel? Because I thought Slack was something used for internal teams. Yeah, uh, sorry. The, the work on the projects. So how does Slack work for external communications? Because I've never come across. Ah,
0: this is going to be great then. So there are many really, really good climate Slack channels and ESG one. So work on climate is one. Climate EU. There's a few of them. And I think the ones that we're in, the membership totals almost 40,000 people. And that's where a lot of different climate communities or sustainability communities are interacting with each other. And that's where a lot of the calls for these kinds of roles go out. So I can I can maybe give you some of the names of these and like I highly recommend them. They're really valuable. That would be
1: amazing yeah. because I think we as a young community, we haven't really joined Definitely. any of these.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, MCJ is another one with they've been, yeah, they've been awesome for us. But then, yeah, going forwards, it's, you know, what's our SEO, what's our advertising, the kind of standard outbound routes that we want to start doing. The final one, by the way, to reach customers that I didn't mention is so we want to make it easy, easier for a freelancer to contract with us than it would be for them to do the admin of getting a project. And so we're starting to offer things like incentives or referral fees. So, you know, we'll pay you X amount if you bring the client to us. And we will handle contracting and invoicing, provide you with small business insurance, and generally just make it super easy to to transact through us. The network is so powerful, and these are people doing amazing things in the space. And so just trying to use that more and more.
1: Well, it sounds like you have a lot of useful functionality, so it's not a normal job search website. How did you go about building the platform, going through this simple website to having this various functionality for yeah. the, for the freelancers and what were your key milestones what were the challenges during the process and maybe you could share how did you overcome this difficulty yes
0: yeah, so many challenges so what i would say i don't know when this podcast is going to go out but i think it'll be probably early september that the new platform will get released and that is going to have far more functionality than it than it does now In terms of the journey, like I have this philosophy, which is, you know, don't build anything unless you absolutely know that you need to. And what that means is you have to go through the pain of having a really basic website or an MVP that you're really embarrassed about. And you put that out into the world and then via customers going through that funnel, you get a signal of what you need to build next. But the initial like the initial period with Leafa was one, like I mentioned, very basic website. And then me behind it, the kind of like the man behind the curtain pushing emails around. And then that tells you that you need to build certain forms to allow data collection. That tells you that you need to build certain automations, data structuring, et cetera, in the back end. Uh, Whichever UI you need, you know, the ability to consult with people for short calls. And so those have all been signals that people have either asked for or indicated that they would need without it being there. Yeah, you're putting something basic out there seeing how it reacts in the world and then building more complexity on top i think with a marketplace the big challenge is always like liquidity and you know can people transact on there are you balancing supply and demand which is always quite uh you've always got to be careful and keep an eye on it hence this waiting list we don't want to oversubscribe on supply and then outbalance demand i think other ones is just things like you know what's the kind of the brand value proposition and who is the customer that that value proposition is speaking to. And it's completely different now to what it was at the start and to what I thought it would be as well. And so it's overall, it's while you're building this feature set, how are you also telling the story of that feature set to the person who's coming on and telling that story instantly as well, because you really honey, have a few seconds of people's attention. I could go on all day about all the challenges that we have, but I'll, I'll, st- I'll stop there.
1: Would you say that finding funding is one of the biggest challenges?
0: Yes, I don't want to like, it's a really difficult funding environment at the moment. And so I don't want to make out that it's it's been easy at all because like we're just starting out this journey, but we've been really lucky. We've had a few initial angel investors um, who've been like excited by the vision and our mission, which has been awesome. That gets you like that kind of early momentum is all important. It is always a challenge. We're also, we've got onto a couple of accelerators, um, which has been helpful, but that always is. Luckily, like, we're now in a world where you can use enough low-code low code or no-code tools that your actual, like, your capital requirements early on aren't that large. And so I think funding is going to become more of an issue when we start to scale and try and hire more people. Whereas in the initial, like, getting those initial proof points, it hasn't been that much of an issue. And that's by design as well. Like, I wouldn't want to go out to funding until I knew I'd prove the market a
1: bit. How do you measure the success and impact of your platform? And maybe you could share with us some of your success stories.
0: Yeah, a couple of different ways. So you um, like you're asking as well for numbers on on clients. So a couple of like core metrics is, you know, how many people are on the platform and how many clients are posted on the platform. But the one that links those two is liquidity. So what is the percent of people that can successfully transact on Lifa? And so like um, to give an example, if you go onto Amazon, their liquidity is very high because you will invariably get exi- like almost exactly what you want. And it must be plus 95%, it's crazy. Whereas for us, we're a young platform, so it's a lot lower. And so trying to increase that and that success metric for you know, you're a client, you post on Leafa, do you get the person that you need and how quickly? And then there's the climate impact, which is like the work that we're doing is pointless unless there is a the climate impact. So starting to measure things like what are the projects that we're doing what are the potential emissions that have been abated reduced or avoided by those projects and what percent of the work did the freelancer do so that's something we want to start measuring other ones things like how many people have we got into permanent careers in climate how many people have we upskilled so we had a partnership with the university of oxford where they offered climate learning modules to freelancers from the global south and I think that's a big one for us as well, is like how there is a skills crisis and that's why we exist. So how can we attack the skills crisis, which isn't just us um, sharing the expertise of people, but us also raising the general level of expertise.
1: Well, perhaps uh, you could make a partnership with me. I created an educational platform about decarbonization and transition. So maybe I'll share details with you and you can have a look at
0: it. My ears did prick up when we were talking about it. So yeah, definitely. I'd also say that there's like there's generally a, a bit of a gap for education platforms. There's like Seed Culture, Terra, AXA Climate are doing it. There's, there's a lot more work that needs to be done with educational platforms in the space as well.
1: Well, thank you for that. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think I ever talked about myself on, on my podcast. <laughs> so thank you for, for this opportunity. My next question is, what are your plans for scaling and growing the platform in the coming years? And what's, what's your vision for your platform?
0: In the next couple of years, we have to focus. And that means focusing on the UK as a market and some specific pain points within the UK. I think we're like in a really good position. Like I was thinking about this last night. We have such a good foundation. Like it's number one on Google. We have all of this interest. Clients are coming back and sharing again. So there's obviously something strong there, but that's just a foundation. Next couple of years, building more learning partnerships, making it more valuable than not for someone to transact on the platform is gonna be a key inflection point. And then the vision, like the thing that really excites me is, so as a freelancing platform, you're gathering like a quite a rich data set fundamentally is not only on skill levels of people who are on there, but every time a client comes onto LIFA. They are telling us quite a lot about what their pain points are and what they want to do. So you share a project and you have this description. That's awesome data for us. It's really, really rich and it's telling you that companies in the space who want to become more sustainable have these kinds of pain points. The the big vision for Lifa is to use that set of data and then use our network of experts and these are people who've delivered multiple projects in the space who are completely specialists to what they do and work with them to try and build tools and products that scale those projects. So to give an example, let's say companies are asking us for LCAs. These are life cycle assessments. Um, you know, tell me what the emissions impact is of a certain product. And there's, we're, getting, we're seeing trends in the data. So five, ten projects that are asking for LCAs. So there's obviously a pain point that a solution in the market is improving or isn't meeting. And if we can work with the people who deliver those projects and build a really user-centric LCA tool, then I think that's an awesome opportunity for impact. That is one example. I think there are many more that the data will tell us. Yeah, it's something I'm so excited about with LIFA. And that's the the kind of, we have this platform and that's really one of the things we want to build on top of it.
1: How do you see the freelance climate jobs market evolving? And how do you see the role uh, of your business in these developments?
0: i think it's gonna grow i mean i hope it grows um so the climate jobs market in general is exploding the big misconception that people have is that while it is true that everyone is flooding into the space so people think you know this the jobs market is going to shrink because everyone wants to work in climate right now but the jobs market and the the demand for jobs and the number of jobs is growing it's not getting smaller so and that's because they're just there's such a demand to decarbonize and there's far, there's way, way more jobs than there are people. And so I think the, that's a big misconception there. And I think the jobs market will just continue to grow. Um, in the UK alone, it's something like six, I think it's over six million jobs being created by Net Zero Pathways. But there's a huge proportion of workers within that that just don't exist. And we're not creating the skill sets for those. So. There'll be more demand in the space, I would I would imagine, um, unless there's serious interventions done on the education front by the government or or by other companies. And then in the freelancing space, I think like there's generally been a loosening of regulations with where you can work and who you can work for post-COVID, which is really, really helpful. It means that you can get skill sets from which are hyper-localized in places like East Africa or South America where If you're a company who wants to operate in that space previously it was really difficult for you to find those people so i think that environment helps as well but then otherwise in terms of freelancing in general there's like a perception of it that it's like a lifestyle and i think what you're saying more is that there's this set of infrastructure that hopefully we're helping to create which is making it really easy for anyone who would have previously been in a really stable job with a salary to now be in a really stable role as a freelancer, but do that consistently for companies over years. So I'm generally seeing that it's kind of, it's going in this quite a positive direction. There's quite a rich ecosystem there.
1: Given that the freelancers market is growing so fast, surely there are other freelancers platforms already in place, maybe not specializing so narrowly on climate and sustainability. Do you find that uh, these are serious competitors to you and maybe there is something unique about your platform which will give you advantage compared to these platforms.
0: Yeah, so I think the first thing to say is so we're single service, single brand proposition, so the whole aim is to be the go-to place for climate skills if you're not looking for someone for a, for a permanent role. In terms of freelancing platforms, they are very, very general and that comes with an issue of of kind of vetting and like, is this person who they say they are how sure am I that you have the right skills? And on place like Upwork or even LinkedIn, you get like a reverse network effect where you will post a role and then you'll have to sift through potentially hundreds of applicants for a project. Which, if you're hiring it in, you might not even have the skill set to vet yourself. You know, like very many people are hiring sustainability managers or carbon accountants for the first time, and so coming to us as a place where you're sure that it's single service, that everyone on there's been vetted, I think is one. But secondly, our competitors I are, aren't really other freelancing platforms at the minute. It's consultancies. So these are your either PwC's or McKinsey's of the world, but also the smaller boutique ones, because the market that we're going after is, you know, small, medium sized businesses. And, you know, they're they're trying to bring these skills. They're trying to hit reporting deadlines or regulations. And those are the ones we want to be competing with. And I think we do like it's Far faster and far cheaper. And in my opinion, I think you get a much more spe- uh, specific skill set to work with a platform like Leafa than it is to work with a consultancy. Having been a consultant myself, where you're, you're bringing in anyone from across the organization who's inflating their, their skill sets on a slide just to be able to meet that contract, I think there's quite a clear value there.
1: That's really cool that you were challenging big consultancies <laughs> uh, in, in your work. What advice would you give to freelancers looking to find opportunities and what guidance would you give to your clients seeking to hire climate focused professionals?
0: Um, I mean come on to us if you're a freelancer. I think also from my experience from them like there's been hundreds and hundreds of applicants to projects in Leafa and I look at them all we also rate them all if you're a freelancer and you want to win work, the things that stand out or the thing, the one thing that stands out and that will get you a role is specificity. So like don't try and be a jack of all trades. Generalists don't really get hired. Um, You just end up being, if you try and be everything to everybody, you'll be nothing to nobody. And being really specific about your skill set, you know, what is exactly that you bring and for which kind of customer. And you'll find that if you if you target quite a small market with that skill set, you can then kind of expand out in almost concentric circles of, we can do a slightly different market or I can build a adjacent skill set on that. And then for clients, again, come to us, but I would also say that one of the pain points that we've seen is, like I mentioned, people are trying to hire these skills for the first time. You know you have the problem or you know you have this regulation, but you don't know exactly who it is or the skill set that you need. And so like, talk widely to a set of people who are familiar with the space before making these decisions. Let's say you need a carbon accountant. It's very easy to hire someone who is a carbon accountant, but they might be looking at a completely different, you know, scope one versus scope three or a completely different industry to you, which doesn't really translate. And we're bringing the ability for you to have multiple interviews and multiple short calls and to do that. It's very, very costly for this work to get redone and for you to redo your reporting or to redo your strategy or to redo your implementation of that strategy. So as much as you can, get like widening your knowledge base before you, you take the step to hire someone is, uh, would be my advice.
1: Well, interesting because I, I have always thought that I'm a generalist because I also used to work in consulting uh, and even internally in big corporations. I used to do internal consulting where you actually go into different things. So what would you recommend to people who don't have narrow specialization? Is, yeah. it, is your platform not for them?
0: I don't think you are a generalist. I mean, you've got like, I was sitting here surrounded by all of this like amazing equipment and like this is not a skill set that most people have is the ability to set something like this up.
1: Well that's not what I exactly meant. <laughs> Filming and podcasts is my hobby.
0: We're like within any generalism and within consulting especially there's loads of sub skills and I think what that means if if you're a consultant is that you have a broad base of skills but just like highlight and emphasize sub skills within that instead of I don't know, like, you go like this like, very, very long laundry list of everything that you can do. It's a bit like, you know, if you go to a restaurant or you go walk past a restaurant and it will be selling like fish and chips and pizza and curry and something else. It's, it's like, it would probably have a question mark about eating there. Whereas if something is just doing one thing really, really well, it's like, you know, it's great and you can know it and trust it. And then you can always build from there and build your clients, build your network.
1: Is there anything else that you would like to share about your platform and its mission?
0: I would probably <laughs> not be doing my job unless I didn't like plug that we are fundraising. Please don't get in touch if you are invested in the space and you listen to this. Otherwise to call back to the reason that it was started is that like, and maybe the implications behind the skills gap that I mentioned is what we as a society are trying to do now is something that has never been done before and that's decarbonize a human society. But let's say you and a group of friends wanted to go out and build a house, you probably could you'd probably build some sort of shelter, but I think it would, be, it would take a lot longer and it would be a lot more costly and you'd probably have to redo a lot of it instead of finding the right people. And I think it's generally like this this kind of, this large project that everyone is embarking on now is a lot of these skills haven't been developed and a lot of this innovation is, like by definition, it's innovation, so it hasn't been done before. And so as a result, we're lagging on skills, like we haven't had the time to develop that base of skills. And that has a real impact in terms of emissions. The worker gap in the UK of hundreds of thousands of people by 2050. And that equates to a emissions gap in our target of 30 million tonnes of emissions. And that's the size of like Estonia and Lithuania's emissions put together. So it's quite large. And so I would just call it back to that and say like, this is the kind of elephant in the room of climate change. And that we're not speaking about is that these projects will not get done unless we have the people and we have the skills to do them. Um, so that would be my one kind of like one takeaway from from this as well
1: so if people do want to get in touch with you uh, what's the best way
0: We're, so leafer climate freelancing on linkedin www.leafa.work and that's l-e-a-f-r.work or hello at leafa.work um are the best ways so yeah come say hi anytime
1: just in conclusion, I always ask all my guest speakers about what changes have you done to your personal life to live a more sustainable lifestyle.
0: I definitely fly a lot less, and I think the guilt about flying is 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 real. This one is one that I go back and forth on. Like, I try and do the things like fly less, um, eat less meat. I do think that that general question, that emphasis, is kind of like. I know you didn't mean this way, but it's like, it's very much playing into the hands and the narrative by large corporations. You know, they like the the biggest 100 emitters who are corporations are responsible for like 70% of emissions. And so um, the onus on the consumer is like, I think it is drawing away from a lot of the focus on, you know, people at like Rio Tinto, whose emissions are plus 1% of all global emissions. But in terms of what I have done, yeah, me, um, trying to fly less as well. So you'll see me cycling around on my bike around London as well and that I think covers 80% of the yields. I do think the kind of trying to put the focus on those big industries, because the companies are bound by their shareholders and they, they are bound by the model that they're in. But trying to put the focus on industries to like invest in these solutions that will, for example, aviation fuel or different forms of transport and trying to put the pressure on governments as well to, you know, subsidise train rides, for example. I think that's where a lot of the, the focus and the narrative needs to be. Uh, consumer choices are really important but it's not fair to expect a lot of the, the developing world to change their lifestyle when the developed world has had that lifestyle now for a long time and I, I don't see more than a, a very small proportion of people doing it to any meaningful extent. So I'd say as much as we can putting our effort on these big hard to abate industries is where the kind of the margin is going to be.
1: That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was brilliant to hear about your platform and we wish you good luck with both finding the right investors for the platform and finding the right clients.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Thank you very much for your attention. Please explore LIFR platform and get in touch with Nick if you are a potential investor. For those of you who are interested in the Slack climate communities, which Nick has mentioned, I will include the links in the podcast notes. And if you have got interested in my training program, please check it out. The link is also in the notes. This program provides a wide overview of the decarbonization and energy transition efforts and has already helped many professionals to change their career focus. You can find this program by searching Courses Shortlisted Productions. This was a production of the Climate Community 1.5 Degrees DA. Thank you for listening.